Before we start today's episode, we wanted to thank our newest Patreon supporters, Nick Richardson, Shelly Gentile, Christine Pitts. Thank you so much for your ongoing support. If you'd like to learn more about how to support the Dive in Justice podcast, visit us at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. I didn't forget. I was waiting. You fucking forgot. You even said don't wait. You said don't wait. It needs to come right after it. This fuck up was you, friend. Ready? Go. From where? This is Delma Jackson. Oh. This is Delma Jackson. (laughs) I'm ready. Welcome to another episode of Dive In Justice, the podcast that explores building ideal community with our less than ideal selves. We're excited to have yet another guest uh, join us, brother Anru, half Kenny, uh, will be with us a little bit later on to talk about wholeness and healing, all of the stuff that we love talking about so much. But before we get into that, I wanted to welcome my co-host and check in with her. How are you, Shandi? Highs and lows. I always feel like when we get into this part of our recording, I'm flooded sometimes with a whole bunch of lows that it doesn't make (laughs) me remember the highs. And so I can list all of my lows, but I have to actually go really and dig deep for the high. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to try to flip that for just a second and start with my high. We'll see. Let's see. Let's do it. I paid my last payment on my car. Nice. I own my car. And I love my car. This sounds dumb as but you need to like you need to put some pillows around it and just duct tape them around. Because <laughs> it's been my experience that every time I paint my car off, something happens to my car. <laughs> We're in uh-huh. pandemic. I haven't driven my car in yeah, yeah. <laughs> almost a year to the date. Yeah, so, yeah. so we're good. No, we're good. Okay, so I bought a car that sits car. in my driveway. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Matter of fact, leave it there and just go get a new car. <laughs> Such an Go ass. get another car note. I'm telling no, you. That's all. No, I love my car. Work. I love my car. So that's my high. Right. I paid it off. Big deal. That is a big deal. My big low deal. is... I had two boys, one who's already a sophomore in college. He's in Boston. I've got a 17-year-old who's a senior and submitted his last college application, and none of them are local. He was applying all over the country. And I'm going to leave this town that I've been forced to live in for 17 years, and I'm pretty solidly sure I'm moving to Portland. My low is filling out those god. Damn loan applications. It makes me feel like I am unworthy. It like all of these I just like the adulting. Like I, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to like search for my damn W2s for two years. I don't want to PDF my stupid pay stub for two months. I don't want to show them how much money I owe on my freaking college loans and taxes and it I don't want to do it. I feel like a uh, Four-year-old saying, I don't want to. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And then I go straight into all of those behaviors of like, I don't want to do this then. Well, then I don't want to do that. Well, then I don't want to. So the result, laundry's not done. Dishes not done. Email's not done. In addition to not doing my loan application. So what does get done? Netflix binging. Uh Grubhub eating. Spotify playlist doing seriously. Like yep. I got yep. shit to do and it's not, I'm not doing it. So that's, that's my low. What you got? I too have long struggled with executing the things, checking off the boxes, so to speak. And it feels like the more things I'm supposed to be doing, the more likely I am to spend time, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, looking at cat videos on Instagram and changing <laughs> my profile picture on Facebook 20 times, trying to figure out which one is going to get the most likes from the most folks. I am struggling with that this week particularly was tough. Um, I just felt like between work obligations, personal life stuff, it just felt hard. And my high is actually connected to that. My high is that I pushed through, checked 90% of the boxes. Uh, I put my head down, held my breath, dove in, got it done, came up for air, looked around and saw that I was still treading, that I was still good, that the lights are still on in my home, the heat still works, etc. So I got something right. Your kids got fed, bills got paid, you earned your paycheck. I didn't say that. I didn't didn't say that. (laughs) You say that your kids got fed. Some some had to go. So, (laughs) all right. When we come back, we will introduce our guest for the day. Uh, Thank you for joining us, and we'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Deep apologies for Delma. I like to give him a little bit of space to feel like he's important to this pod. So every now and then you'll see that I'll be silent and let him, you know, throw down a couple words that he maybe thinks are wisdom, but we all know we just sort of nod and hear. We are really blessed today (laughs) to have uh, a guest with us whose name is Anru Halfkenny. He identifies as a 51-year-old Boston-born, multiracial, cisgendered Black male raised by organizers and activists who taught him the importance of community liberation movements to address systemic oppression. He uh, has joined us today and joins me in holding uh, Delma accountable, too, as we enter this conversation today. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. Um, So the first thing I want to say is um, I apologize for the not changing some of my information. So I'm 52 now. Oh, Um, happy birthday. uh, Continue to age on. I'll be 53 in (laughs) April. So like (laughs) I really got to update some things I send out. Um, And uh, actually the first thing I'd like to do is, is share this uh, ancestor song that, um, some people may have heard before, and it comes out of the, the Yoruba Orisha tradition. And I'll tell you the translation first. <clears throat> it's basically a calling song to them. And it's honoring our, our mothers, our sacred uh, female, male, and the totality of our sacred ancestral lineages. It's calling them and it's thanking them for the ashe that they have given to us, thanking them for the, the blessings, the 
affinity, the skill, the goodness that comes to us from them. So we're thanking them for that. And then we're also saying that we are like, thank you for that. And we're using it today. Um, so I want to share that um, to start off and to continue this conversation, which I think is really important. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Great to have you on. I had the pleasure of meeting your family a few years ago through my work with Center for Communities. Samara, Kavita always Mm -hmm. spoke so highly of you, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and then you all were hospitable enough when I would come into the uh, Connecticut area and and do some work over at Yale. You all were always hospitable enough to basically just give your home over to me and you didn't even know me. (laughs) Uh, You all were often on vacay, I think around yeah. the time that I would be coming into town. So I would just walk into this empty home and see all these family photos and all mm-hmm. the beauty. It always felt good being in your space. Thank you. But I didn't get an opportunity to meet you until more recently, man. But it's been nothing but a blessing. And so really excited to have you here uh, with us today, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah. So I have a million questions, but I guess what I want to start with, if I may, we obviously all come to our work, our journey, our calling over the course of our years. Right. But I'm wondering how you think of how you define what it is that you do. You know, what is it that you you bring to your communities and a little bit on how you see yourself having got there to begin with? Hmm. I think a short answer. So I'm trying to be as free as possible. That's, that's, that's a, a commitment that I've made to my life. Um, and that actually didn't come out of uh, the justice work that I was kind of raised in, the, in and around. It really came out of the, the actually a kind of pit of despair that I found myself in um, for a whole lot of things coming together when I was in college, um, struggling with drug and alcohol addiction, struggling with uh, depression and anxiety and old hurts and harms and not thinking that um, there was really a place for me to be in the world. There was always kind of behind the various kind of mask that I um, skillfully developed and thought that that was really you know, how I relate to people, how I relate to things, my understanding, if I can figure things out, right? This is my skill set, this is my value. And that wasn't enough. 
couple things. So I'm a clinical social worker uh, right now. I have a private practice. Um, I'm a babalawo. I'm a, a priest in the, the Yoruba tradition. Um, and I've been doing justice work for a long time. And I didn't have these spiritual traditions growing up. And so when I found myself in this place of hopelessness, all the like science and math and figuring out and um, analysis and systems understanding and liberation didn't touch the the place of meaning that I was longing for. And it was really through what became through this spiritual journey of, of, being, of being curious about a life that was different and bigger than all that that I became curious about. Um, and it actually really emerged through my connection to the land and to earth and to nature and then developing that through this connection with these seen and unseen forces, these sacred forces of my ancestors and the, and the divine. And the, kind of the decision when I say about being as free as possible, so if I'm going to be here, I want to be alive, I'm going to choose life and I'm going to choose it to be sane, right? Like my eyes open, heart open, I don't even know what that means, but if I'm going to do that, then I have to explore what this really is. And that meant listening differently, that meant seeking things differently, that meant being present, um, that meant developing skills and tools which I did not have. And there were many kind of routes that I did to come to this place, right, as I'm 52, right? And so we're looking at from this kind of happened, this kind of pivoting happened between like 1989 and 1992 and all of that. And so it's been a journey of coming of like, well, here I am at this point in the journey, right? That decision and that opening to life, to life being something larger than, than even my understanding of it, than the circumstances of my life, than the systems of oppression and the liberation that are at play. Like there's a thing that is here. And it's been really critical for me to, to hold the, um, the relativity of what it means to be black with the, I'm a human being. These are my people, right? My people are you know, African descent, indigenous from both um, Turtle Island, the, the, well, the wholeness of it, right, but what we call United States up to, to Nova Scotia, indigenous people there, as well as in Europe, in people who were, became Swedish, the people who became Irish, right? Those are my people. And, you know, I walk out the door and, like, people are going to see what they see and treat me how they're going to treat me, good, bad, ugly, all the ways, Right. And so holding that, right, holding there's a, there's, a, there's a human being, right, and what does liberation mean to, as a human being? And I'm also coming up against external systems, internalized systems, right, interpersonal relational systems. So my, my practice is called Healing and Liberation Counseling. And so my practice is about bringing these tools together that I have around social justice, around mental health, around spiritual health and wellness, to heal what needs to be healed so that we can be as free as possible. I'm not undoing poverty in the sessions that I do with <laughs> individuals and families and, and even organizations that I work with, right? I, don't, I can't do that, right? But helping people, oh, become aware that like, oh, wow, this system that creates and encourages poverty is traumatic and is affecting their lives, right? Having an awareness of that for some people is like, oh, you mean it's not just 
me and I'm bad and this I just deserved and mm-hmm. all that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes it's right having bringing that awareness into into the room is important. What do we need to heal enough of to be as free as possible to engage with community, to engage in our families, to find our own resources, so that people can be on on their way and live their lives. I'm hoping that people come in, I work with them, and then they're off and like mm-hmm. living their good enough lives in a way that that they discover. Thank you for giving Diving Justice a listen. We recognize that your time is the most valuable currency you have. If you're digging the pod, there are a couple of things you could do to show your support. First, head over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds of your time. And every review helps us grow our listenership and broadens the conversations we can have together. The second thing you can do and should do is consider supporting the podcast by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash dive underscore in underscore justice. I have 10,000 questions, but my... But my burning question, honestly, is so you you, you look at things like um, yoga and how it's been co-opted, how they've been in, in Delma's language, whiteified um, because of all of the things that you named. How do we save healing work from being whiteified, if you will? How do we um, stiff arm the, the oppressiveness of that internal and external oppression in a way that... Um, creates that avenue for that liberation that is so important that you talk about? It's a really good question. It's, you know, this stuff around like cultural appropriation, right? We've internalized this, like that feels good. So I should, I can take it. It's in the marketplace. It's in a store. It's on Amazon. Look, I can get the things, right? Now we're battling a system that has a a life of its own, right? That's kind of generating itself to do that, to commodify things. And that's, that's been the same machine from when kind of colonial powers landed on these shores that kind of machine right had that kind of dehuman like these are these others these are the people who are not people they're less than i could just take that and you're battling people who are are so cut off from their own source of connection that they also don't know better I literally had this, there was this white woman next to me in the ceremony and she's talking to somebody else and I'm like in my own space. And she was like, oh, you know, I just feel so connected. Like I must have been like Native American in a past life. I must have been like Native American in a past life. Like, oh, this is just so, and I like, my brain froze they have also gone through in their lineage some kind of tearing apart from their traditions that are actually connected to the earth. They're actually just as valid as what they are imagining they are grasping onto. Right? So part of what's happened here is this like, oh, you are connected to the earth, right? There's these feelings. Oh, there must be something around the indigenous people who are here that you want to appropriate or you're connected to versus every human people's had rich traditions living in right relationship with the earth. Up till today, right, there are these 
right? These these uh, other machines, right? Destroying these indigenous ways of being in right relationship with the earth and these forces and our ancestors and all these beings in a, a, a massively diverse way. Mm-hmm. There's no one way. And so holding that complexity in the same way that when I work with people who've been traumatized and they cause harm or they're traumatized and their thinking is distorted about how to get their needs met, I don't want to spend a lot of my energy focused on the fight against that. That fight is so juicy. Right. It is like, right. ooh, I get to like tell you how wrong you are right. and how the things and like you re- referenced earlier, like where's your heart in that? Like where's my heart in that? And so if I'm communicating my heartbreak, right, and the accountability to it, that's very different, right? And then if I can say like, so actually there are ways to find our way home to the best of our ability these days. Let me let me sift through my stuff to find my way back home. And like, and in doing that, like, Oh, well, Oh, you're, you're on a journey. This was helpful for me. Maybe this could be helpful for you. Right. Right. It's that challenge to not center that, but actually hold true to the relationship Uh, of your journey while creating the conditions for others to go on theirs. What you said just resonated so much with the, like how would that struggle of don't center that and stay true to something that's yours. Given that healing is centered in what you've done both for yourself and creating space for others to heal as well. When you think about intentional community, right? If I said, we got this plot of land, we got these folks, we have this infrastructure, we got everything we need except some of the guiding values, the guiding principles that will allow us to disagree, that will allow us to have tough conversations as things come up and allow us to heal in the process. I want to put you in charge. Yeah, nah, take it. I want you to be the one. I'll comment. I'll comment on some things around that. Um, yeah, we have experienced a lot of pain to survive in this culture. We have to distort our thinking. That's the kind of internalized oppression. We distort our thinking about our value, about what it means to be successful, about what it means to be uh, right, good, attractive, all the things. And we are trained to hold certain things as the, the gold standard, right? And those things actually are coming out of this consumeristic society, right? Which actually doesn't care how you feel about things as long as you're buying the things, right? And one that says, um, us up here who are really making a lot of money want to make sure that you down there are not talking to each other and you're isolated, Because when you start doing stuff, the change starts to happen and you get a little bit of something. You start to feel like a person and you get some weekends and a little bit of health care and a 40-hour work week, right? And that hits our bottom line and we don't like that. So we got to now change and adapt and do some different things. When we come together, we have very distorted ways of even thinking about who we are and what we're trying to build. Um, And so there's like healing just in that. My parents... 
dad's black, mom's white. My dad was in the Panther Party for a little while, and then both from when the Communist Party and national organizing, um, um, really brilliant people. Talked to my mother relatively recently and was like, so what kind of conversations did you have about like your relationship? Like what are racial dynamics and things like that? And they were like, oh, we didn't do that. Like they were, they thought they were just demonstrating, right? Mm -hmm. What freedom is fierce and brilliant. We're fighting the things and look at who we are. And they were a friggin' mess. I mean, they did the best they could. Right. And I, and you know, this, what the healing resolution of all that has been, which is really true. Um, and what I still see today, right. Is that, so the pressure of the hurt, the solution that I took on when I was young to, to navigate the distortions of self and other, and who do I really get to show up? I don't really believe I do all these conditions around it was that I had to figure things out. I had to be planted up here in my life. Let me navigate this scenario. Who's doing what? What? And like, that's how many people operate. Mm-hmm. Right? And they don't have a sense of their bodies and their hearts and their spirits. It's this like, I got to figure out and navigate it. And so when someone gets hurt, they're very unskilled at that. something i want to mention in this um you know what comes out in this like call out culture today is a kind of also a distortion about trauma and my feelings also kind of a flip side people talk about being triggered right a trigger is not something that leads to just strong feelings right it's not that you did something and i have strong feelings about it that's not a trigger a trigger is you do a thing and i'm lost in a story of a trauma about the difference between what is real and what is true. So I say, your feelings are real. Your actions that come out of them, your thoughts that come out of them, all that is 100% real. I can really come into this conversation thinking like, they hate me. They're just like happy just to be taking up airtime. They don't care what I'm saying. I could really feel that way, right? And I could start to behave that way. And it may not be true at all. And we're also in a culture of people languaging things so much that there's this thing around like my truth and your truth. And it's like, well, let's shift that a little bit. Cause like you can really believe and you have this experience and you felt I was doing this, right? Yes. And it might not have been that. And how can we, how can we come together with that complexity? Not victim blaming and dismiss you because I don't like what you have to say, but can we really look at it and tease out the complexities? And that's the piece that in a lot of progressive circles, people don't have the skill and they don't have the capacity because everything then does trigger them. And if you are actually being triggered in your trauma, you are not thinking rationally. Mm -hmm. So, but people don't want to understand or admit that like, Oh, maybe I'm not actually, maybe I'm actually having some distorted thinking about what's going on. Mm-hmm. maybe maybe that is that also happening and they are also maybe doing a little thing and i've like made it i don't know but that's a piece because we're like so geared to this i gotta figure it out and i gotta be right and i know and i got it and you're wrong that there's very little space to like be people that aren't just actually triggering each other off you triggered me and i'm going to escalate and then that gets you scared because i'm this big black man and now you did the thing oh now i'm triggered because you're this thing and all of a sudden we're blowing things up and it's on fire 
because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you didn't take the mail in. And the scary things on that are when we're doing it in our own communities. I mean, it's explicitly in our communities. Right, the, right. The like hurts, with, with each other. The, the ways that we experience trauma the, the most directly exactly. is typically in our communities. Exactly. That's a thing. It goes back to what you opened with when you were talking about what you do in the, in the context of deep listening. You're listening to one another with that generosity, like with that level of accountability when you're in right relationship with earth and love, right? So if you're truly listening, then the space around triggering isn't about what you said in your intent triggers me. It's what you said is actually bringing up stuff that I actually don't know if I've ever dealt with from before or didn't even know if it was present. And and can you, as another body in front of me and my fullest humanity, hold space for that? Mm-hmm. Can we hold space for one another toward that? But we can't, we like, like you say, either we use it as a, as a self-righteous tool or we use it as a, like, someone's hurt me, so I'm hurting you, as we use it as a hurting people hurt people versus healing people heal. Like, however we use it, where it's we struggle to practice that what you said at the beginning, which is what does real deep listening mean? Yeah. And it's Sorry. um Shonda, say it again. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't listening and so I missed what you said. <laughs> shocker, shocker. Sorry about <laughs> the fact that yeah. um we're we're tight on time and um we would love, love, love to have you back mm-hmm. again. Um, we'll what you're saying. 9,999 exactly. questions. There we go. Exactly. Exactly. Times two. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. it'd be great too. I can, I'll work the schedule where it's just you and me on And so we don't have to, you know, like Delma, maybe we'll. I have you know, the capacity to really <laughs> listen and be present with the complexity of the two of you. <laughs> I think I'm going to move your y'all, mic. Y'all Got can't it. see Delma's face right now. I'm going to mute your mic. Um, Anru, <laughs> thank you pleasure. for taking yeah. some time. Um, so much. Um, it's a gift. It's a gift. Yeah, it really is. But we want to let you go and, and get to your next thing, brother. So be easy. God bless you and the fam. And um, stay out of the bad trouble. Keep up the good trouble. And we'll, uh, thank you. Reconnect. You all too. You will. All right, brother. Thank you for this time. All right. Take care. Peace, yeah. peace, peace. Dive In Justice is a co-production of the Center for Whole Communities and Shoreline Consulting. The Center for Whole Communities exists to build capacity at the individual, organizational, and community level to deepen awareness, embrace differences, and value relationships, thus making change possible. Shoreline Consulting co-constructs solutions and strategies that align with your goals and leverages the voices, perspectives, and wisdom of those who stand to benefit. For more information on the Center for Whole Communities, find us at wholecommunities.org. For more information on Shoreline Consulting, visit us on the web at thinkshorelines.com. Dive in Justice would also like to thank Doug Ferentine for his editing expertise, Susanna McCandless for her administrative acumen, and Jenny Cotting for her marketing and promotional prowess. Without these folks, this show would not be possible.